Well, good morning. Good, uh, good to be with you all this morning. Good to be worshiping with you guys this morning and, and praying with you as a church, as, a, as the body of Christ. And so uh, we're going to continue our, our walk here through 1 Peter. So you're going to get your Bible out uh, this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter starting in chapter 2 as we open up service today. Today we're going to walk line by line and verse by verse through 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. And so if you want to go ahead and get, get your Bible out, pull to that, uh, turn to that uh, chapter and verse. If you don't have a Bible this morning, you can look underneath the seat near you uh, or behind you. You'll find a copy of God's Word there. If you don't own a Bible, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can go ahead and take that one home with you. It's our gift to you this morning. We want to ensure that everyone has a copy of God's Word in their home. And so as you're doing that, as you're getting your, your Bibles out, let me ask you all a question here real quick. We'll open up this morning with a question. Who in here likes to cook? Anybody specifically? All right. All right. Awesome. That's great. That is great. I love, I love, uh, I love, I'm not a good baker, but I love to, to partake in the process when the baking is done. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, my wife does all the baking uh, in our house. She bakes uh, primarily bread. So my wife bakes the bread. I enjoy eating the bread. Um, as you can tell, so uh, I, I, it's just awesome. I love to, to, to see her bake, but I am a horrible baker. Now, I love to cook. Anyone who knows me personally in here knows that I love to cook. It's a passion of mine. I love to, especially like if it's on the grill, pull out the smoker, throw some ribs on, like that's my jam, all right? But baking, it's not, it's not my jam, okay? I've tried my hand at it. It's gone terrible. I thought, hey, I'm, I'm a decent cook. I could probably bake. No, not the truth. Um, I always end up with a product that's way off from what it was intended to be. And one night, one, one night I tried to, uh, Tori was gone, my wife was gone, I tried to, my hand at her banana bread recipe, ended up getting something that tasted like zucchini bread, don't know how that happened, but it happened. It's just not, it's not, it's not what I'm good at, okay? It's not a talent that I've been given. But my wife, she loves to bake, loves to bake bread. And, and as I watch her bake this delicious homemade bread, I realize, I, I find out why I'm not good at baking. Um, when, you're, when you're cooking, um, you can be not as exact. But when you're baking, you have to follow the instructions as, at a T. Like you have to put in just the right amount of flour, just the right amount of sugar. That is not me, okay? I prefer cooking where you taste it and you're like, ah, it needs a little salt. You throw a little salt in there and, you know, it needs some garlic. You throw a little garlic in there. There's no real, there's no real science to it. You just grab the shaker and you shake the thing and you shake it until it tastes right, right? That's cooking. That's not baking. Baking is a science, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a chemistry. If you don't add the right ingredients in the right amount at the right moment, it could spell disaster. And so the ingredients, the measurements, the instructions of the recipe are vital to getting a good tasting product in the end. So in order to be successful at baking that loaf of bread or baking that cake or those cookies or whatever it is you're baking... You need a solid recipe, a solid how-to, and you need to follow that recipe to a T. Well, we're going to see something similar over the next three weeks as we continue to walk line by line and verse by verse in the book of 1 Peter, in the letter of 1 Peter. Um, he's going to give us a recipe on how we as Christians live in a persecuted world. And, and just like baking, if we stray away from this recipe that Peter is going to give us, we could end up, the end product could be way off from where we are called to be, where God has called us to be. 
And so if you're new with us this morning, um, we've been walking line by line and verse by verse through this first letter that Peter wrote, the persecuted Christians of Asia Minor. That's this, this part of the world where Asia and Europe come together. What is now modern-day Turkey, Peter's writing these persecuted Christians a letter, and, and he describes these people as exiles. They are, they are a part of a world that they don't belong in. Right? As believers, we belong in heaven with Jesus. And so Peter's writing this letter to these exiled Christians in Asia Minor. And the same for us as Christians today. We are all exiles in the world we live in. We, like these Christians in Asia Minor, belong in heaven with Jesus. But we're spending a period of time here on earth exiled in the world. In the first chapter of this letter, Peter focuses on two main themes of a life in Christ while in exile and under persecution. As we walked through chapter 1, we found that hope and motivation that we find in the gospel of Jesus was the, the topic of discussion. Peter is saying we have a hope in Jesus. We have a motivation to live holy because of the hope we have in our internal inheritance, which is heaven with Christ. And this morning, Peter's going to move his direction from the hope and motivation to the actual acts that we're called to do, how we're actually called to walk. He's going to answer a specific question today, and that question is this. Uh, Peter's going to answer, how do we live as exiled Christ followers in a land that we don't belong? All right, what are tangible actions we are to take as Christians living in a world that we don't belong in? And today, the Apostle Peter is going to answer this question in four points. And the first point is this. As we open up the text here in verse 1, how do we live as exiled Christians? Peter's going to show us we are first to desire the word. Let's get our eyes on the text here. In verse 1 through 3, Peter says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now notice how Peter opens up the first three verses of this chapter. He says uh, the word so. And if you read other translations of this text, if you're reading the NASB or the NIV or the King, King James Version, uh, you read other translations, this, that word so might be translated the word wherefore or therefore, used here in the opening of this chapter. As we spoke last week about this, the, our section of text that we walked through last week also started with the word therefore. Um, this is a conjunctive adverb that shows cause and effect. We discussed that last week. So we have to go back, as Peter opens up here with the word so, we have to go back to the lines of the text above to know what's causing this action. What is Peter referencing to that causes this action? So look with me, if you would, just above chapter 2 this morning to verse 23 of chapter 1, which says this, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news 
that was preached to you. So Peter, in the end of of chapter 1, is talking about how the word of God is imperishable and that it remains forever. And he tells us that this imperishable word is the gospel of Jesus. And it's transformed us as Christ followers. We were born again into a new creation. As Peter says, we have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And as we transition from there into chapter 2, Peter's stating, because you are born again, because you are born again to an imperishable seed, he states that we should put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He's telling the original audience in Asia Minor, put away or to reject these sins that impede our desire for God's word. Jesus preached against all these sins he just mentioned. That Peter just mentioned a list of these sins and Jesus himself preached against all these sins. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So there's a reason that Peter is bringing up these sins. He's reiterating what Jesus has already taught, but there's a reason why he's addressing these sins being committed by these persecuted people in Asia Minor. Again, these are a persecuted people. And if you and I were being persecuted as violently as these people were in Asia Minor, do you think we would have malice in our hearts for our persecutors? I definitely would. What about slander? Will we talk bad about our persecutors? What about hypocrisy? Would we walk around preaching the forgiveness and grace found in Jesus while having zero grace and damning those who have done us wrong? These are, these are sins that are being committed by these people, and Peter is telling them to walk away from that. Then he's telling them to walk from that to something else. And so what's he say here? What's he say to walk from? He's saying, walk away from those sins and desire only the word. He's saying, walk away from all those sins and desire the word like a newborn baby desires milk. Look at me in verse, what verse 2 says again. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, if you read the the King James version of this text, I I like this translation better. It it breaks down this this word spiritual milk, this this entity of spiritual milk. The King James version says this, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So here Peter refers to God's word as spiritual milk. He says that we should long for it like newborn babies long for it. Now, if you're in this room and you've had a child, you, you, you understand this concept. But if you, if you haven't had a child in this room, let me just give you a broad overview, not detailed, but broad overview of what, what having a child in a hospital looks like. Um, the baby is born and they come out crying and the doctors and nurses clean them up and pretty quickly hand them back to mama, right? Very quickly, the baby's born, 
cleaned up, handed back to mom. Usually by this time, the baby is throwing a massive fit. It's went through an experience, okay? It's, it's a bit tra- traumatic experience for its first uh, view of the world. And so uh, the baby's crying, and the only way to get it to stop crying is to give it its mother's milk, right? The only way to get it to stop crying is to feed it milk. Um, this was one of the only times that you'll, as a new parent, you're going to enjoy hearing your baby cry, because uh, after that, it, it gets a little stressful for a while. But, but nevertheless, the first time I saw this, how, how my, my, my newborn baby girl was frantically screaming, and the moment she went to my wife, and my wife began to give her milk, her, her entire attitude changed. like she was fulfilled, right? The first time I saw this, it was amazing. It blew my mind. Uh, this, this first desire from a newborn child for its mother's milk. I'm standing there looking at my, this new creation, a baby with zero experiences, no earthly clues about what is in the world, no expectations, and yet it has an overwhelming desire to be fed by its mother. It is an overwhelming desire for mother's milk. And this is how Peter is calling us to desire God's word. That we should have an overwhelming desire for it. That we should have a need and we are screaming out to be fed by it. Especially in times of exile, when we are living where we don't belong, where we are being persecuted for our faith. Again, we live in a world as Christ followers that we don't belong in. We belong in heaven with the king of kings. We know that. So while we are here, we must desire God's word to sustain us. And as the text continue to states, so that we may grow in it. As we desire and ingest the word of God, we will grow spiritually. And this is vital for us, church. This is vital for us as believers. Everything else we ingest into our heart dies. verse, Verse 23 through 25 of chapter 1 says that. Everything else dies, but the word of God that we ingest in our heart is eternal. It lives forever. God's word sustains us forever. And in that, we will grow into Christ followers that we're called to be. As our passion grows for God's word, our desire, as we fill ourselves with God's word, we will grow into the Christ followers that he has called us to be. And that's what Peter is going to show us next. As we transition here into verses 4 and 5, Peter is going to show us that as we ingest God's word, as as we desire God's word, it builds us up into a strong, unified group of Christ followers. And that's what Peter's second action is for us this morning. How do we live as a, as a, uh, how do we live a life as exiled Christ followers? Our second point today, we are to be the church. Look with me in verses four through five. Verse four says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So as, we, as he opens up that section of text, Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, precious and chosen. Here, Peter describes Jesus as a living stone. Right, Jesus was rejected by men. Right? He, was, he came to earth. He was hung on the cross. He was rejected. 
but he was chosen by God. He says that as we come to Jesus, right, as we, as we approach Jesus, as we come to him in an intimate manner, to have an intimate relationship with him, walking with him, worshiping him, we are being built up as a spiritual house. And this spiritual house that Peter's describing here is the church. And this isn't the, the brick and mortar lowercase c church that he's talking about. This isn't the rock or first Baptist or, or, or all the other. This isn't, this isn't just the, the small um, neighborhood groups of people gathering. What he's referring to here is the body of Christ, right? What we call the capital C church. In Romans 12, the apostle Paul states that for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That those who have placed their faith in Jesus together become the body of Christ here on earth. If you're a saved person in this room, if you, have, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ, the capital C Church. And we are placed here to represent Jesus and his ministry and proclaim him as Lord across the earth. As the body, we have work to do. As we continue to dig into this text, we're going to see that we have a, a job, we have a role to play as the body of Christ. In fact, as the body of Christ, we are given two jobs in this section of text. The first is this. Uh, Peter says that we are to be a holy priesthood. Now, we've all heard this, this word priest before. We all have a vision in our mind of what a priest look like, looks like. But the Bible tells us that all who have put their faith in Jesus are called to a holy priesthood, to be a, a, a gathering of priests. That's what a priesthood is. It's a fraternity of priests, and that's what we are called to be as the body of Christ. As a holy priesthood of the body of Christ, we have a duty to perform. We are all called to this work together to be a disciple, to be a holy priesthood. And that du duty the text tells us, is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what are these spiritual sacrifices? Again, look with me uh, in, in the text here in verse 4 through 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, there are many examples of what spiritual sacrifices are. The New Testament gives us a definition, a lot of definitions of what the spiritual sacrifices are. For example, uh, some examples of spiritual sacrifices are worship. Right, worship, as we, as we exalt Christ, as, we, as he becomes greater and we become less, that is a spiritual sacrifice. Uh, prayer, as, as Brad just led us in prayer and, and described this is a, a, an act of spiritual sacrifice. Submission to God's will, right? Our time, the time we take to disciple our bodies can be used as a spiritual sacrifice. Our re refraining from the temptations of our flesh is a, an example of a spiritual sacrifice. Spiritual sacrifices in a whole is submitting everything we are and everything we have to God's will. As the church, the body of Christ, we are to worship and serve Jesus as his word commands us to do. And this is an act of spiritual 
sacrifice. And we are called to do this even in persecution. We are to lay aside everything and give ourselves to Jesus. And if we think about even in persecution, what we're commanded to do by Christ, to love one another, to proclaim the gospel, doesn't seem that easy in persecution. But that's why Peter is writing to these people. He's saying, even in persecution, remember, you are the church. You are a holy priesthood. You are not just to sit and suffer. You have a job to do, even in persecution. He's saying, focus on being the holy priesthood dedicated to serving Jesus through the spiritual sacrifice of loving his people. Like laying down all your fleshly, fleshly desires, worshiping him and abiding in his word and his commands. Theologian Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite authors, um, he defines holy priesthood in one of his sermons that he preached, and I'll, I'll read an excerpt of this to you now. Um, Charles Spurgeon says this, priesthood meant in Israel that these men were set apart to speak with God on behalf of the rest of the congregation. They had to offer the, the daily sacrifice and kindle the fire of the incense. Now, you who believe in Christ are all priests, priests for mankind, to speak for them to God. As man is spokesman for a dumb world, you, so are you intercessors for a sinful race. Being a part of the body of Christ, we are called to pray for the unsaved world and to be ambassadors for Jesus for the gospel, right? even if we're in persecution. Right? Even though we're being persecuted for that act, we are to continue to be a holy priesthood and do what we are called to do. And we are called to work in the ministry for Christ. All of us are called to this work. And that's what Peter is going to show us next as well. Peter shows us next that as exiled Christ followers, we are to proclaim the gospel. Read with me back in the text here. Verses 6 through 10 says this. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people, you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter states here that all who have believed in Christ, all who have put their faith in Jesus will have honor, but for those who do not believe, that the gospel will cause them to stumble. It will be offensive to them because they were disobedient to God's word. So what Peter's describing here is the judgment of unbelievers. Those who disobey God's word, right? Unbelief is a disobedience to God's word. They don't place their faith in the gospel. The gospel 
will then be a stumbling block to them. It will be a great offense to them. And we all know that, that eternal life only comes through Christ. Those without Jesus are dead spiritually and eternally because they have not obeyed the word. And Peter states here that this will be a stumbling block for them. The gospel is an offense to these people because it condemns them. All right, one of the main causes of persecution of the church is because they preach a gospel that condemns people without Christ. The gospel is offensive to those who do not know Christ. But as we transition into verse 9, the focus changes away from the unsaved back to the role of us who are in the body of Christ. Read with me again in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Because we have a, we are, we have a people in this world who are spiritually dead, Peter says that we, are, as Christ followers, must proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the apostle here uh, has told us that this world in which we are exiled is full of lost, dead people. And as Christ followers, those who are part of the holy priesthood of the body of Christ, we are to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. All right, we are called to proclaim the gospel. Now remember, we live in a world full of the dead. And as Christ followers, we too were once dead. We too were once walking in darkness. We have to share how through the work of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus, we were brought out of darkness into glorious light. We have to not only share the gospel, but tell people how it had a life-changing effect on our hearts. How it completely transformed us from a person we were who was dead to a person we are now who is reborn in the gospel into life. And we do this by sharing our testimony, sharing the story of how Jesus transformed us. We are to share the gospel of Jesus with the world that we are exiled in, even if they're persecuting us. All right, we have to constantly remember who Peter is writing to. Right, he's giving all this instruction. And for us, in a world where we're not really being violently persecuted, this seems like, okay, we have to, we have to be intentional here. But think about if you were being burned at the stake for your faith. And Peter's telling these people, continue on proclaiming Jesus, how Jesus changed your life. And the, one of the most effective ways to do this is through our own salvation story. This is exactly how the Apostle Paul brought so many people to Christ. If you don't know anything about the Apostle Paul, he was, he was a, a Pharisee. He was a man who was put in charge. He was the secret weapon being brought in by the Jews to stomp out this Christian movement thing that was going on. And so Paul was sent out. They said, we've got to bring in our, our best persecutor, our secret weapon, this guy named Saul. And as they sent him to Damascus to, to drag Christians out of their home, to persecute them, to throw them in chains, bring them back to Rome and back to Jerusalem to be killed, to be persecuted... Jesus meets him on that road. And the number one persecutor, the secret weapon of the Jews, was converted like that. And Paul tells us in Galatians 1 that just through his story, 
just through the story that one who used to persecute us now proclaims God, our rescue story is so incredibly impactful for the gospel movement, for the kingdom growth of the world. It's one of the most effective ways to do it. So go out. Peter's saying, go out into the world, proclaim that God is merciful, that though we were wicked sinners out of love and mercy, the Lord has sent his only son to die for us and grant us righteousness. That before Jesus, we were doomed to death, but through Jesus, we can have eternal life in the glory of heaven. Peter is showing us how to live in an exiled world the way the Lord has intended us to live. That's what he's showing us today as he walks step by step through through these commands. He's showing us this is the way the Lord has intended you to live even in persecution. But he's not done. There's more. There's one more physical action that Peter is calling the persecuted people of Asia Minor and us today as Christians to, to live. As we think about how we are to live as exiled Christ followers, the last thing Peter's going to show, tell us is this. Peter tells us we are to walk in righteousness. Read with me in verses 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter rounds out his, his overall thoughts in this section of the text. He, he once, addresses, uh, once again addresses, addresses the call for Christ followers to separate themselves from sinful actions. And here he talks about the flesh. He opens up by stating, as exiles lost in a dead world, we must abstain from the sinful temptations of our flesh. Now, everything Peter is talking about here when he says the word flesh are all the human desires, right? The desires of our humanity, our sinful nature. Um, In fact, Paul describes some of these in the letter to the Galatian church. Paul uh, says that the temptations of the flesh are things like immorality, impurity, right? Sexual uh, misconduct, idolatry, sorcery, outburst of anger, jealousy, dissension, envy, drunkenness. These are all things that, that the apostle Paul tells us these are desires of the flesh. And Peter tells both and us in the church of Asia Minor to abstain from these things and to keep our conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable. Now, this word Gentile here, which is a word that if we've read the Bible for a long time, we've, we know this word, right? We, we've seen this word Gentile. Some of us in the room are like, well, we're Gentiles. We're not Jews. Well, this word Gentile here is translated from a Greek word that means pagan worshiper. So he's not talking about the Gentile compared to like Jew or Gentile. What he's saying is the unbelieving world. Like as you're amongst the unbelieving world, holds your conduct honorable, So Peter is discussing here keeping our actions and conduct honorable amongst unbelievers. And he says that because he goes on to say, so that when they persecute you, when they speak against you, they only uncover good deeds of Jesus. So that when the world begins to to scratch at our surface, 
Underneath, they will only find a people who are sacrificially serving and loving others as Jesus has commanded them. They won't find anything but a Christ-centered, sacrificially serving, loving, redeemed follower of Jesus. And that is what the Apostle Peter is calling us to be. Follow me. Concentrate only on desiring my word, being the church, doing as I command you to do. And when you are persecuted, when they begin to, to scratch the surface of who you are in persecution, the only thing they will find is me. We are called to be the light of the world. Even in persecution, we are to desire God's word so we can follow it, to be the church so we can serve God's people and proclaim Jesus. In all things, we are to walk in righteousness so that Jesus will be glorified. At right, the end verse there, in verse 12, is so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Right, that's the overall goal, that in the end of our persecution, God is glorified. And these are questions that we have to ask ourselves. Like, are we living up to this calling that Peter's giving us? Are we striving to walk in righteousness? Are we being the church that Jesus intended us to be? Not, not just here at the rock, but every Christ follower in the world. Are we, are, we, are we the body of Christ that Jesus intended us to be? Do we desire the word every day to feed us and help us grow? If the answer to these questions is no, we are here as a body of Christ to help you get started living a life dedicated to Jesus, to being a true living stone. Right, if you're in this room and you're like, I don't, I'm a Christian, I, like I, I know Jesus, I gave my life to Jesus, but I just don't know where to go next. Let us get you connected to other believers that can walk with you, walk with you towards a life dedicated to being a disciple for Christ, to being a holy priesthood, to serving the body, if you are a Christ follower in this room and you want to start living as Peter is commanding, I encourage you to stop before you leave outside the next text table. There'll be our team there that will be able to get you plugged in to serving the body, right? to start serving as the Lord has intended you to serve, and also to get you plugged into a small group so that you can walk through life and be shepherded and be transformed by the gospel as we get into the word into a true disciple of Jesus that we would, we would come together and walk together in small groups so that we can show, show people how to abide in the word, to crave it, to feed on it, to grow in it, and how the word should then affect our lives as we walk with Jesus. That's, that's what our goal here is, is to raise up disciples, people who are living stones in the world to do exactly as Peter has called them to do. So today, if you're feeling that push on your heart from the Lord, to get engaged in the church, the capital C church. I encourage you, stop outside the next steps table. Let us get you plugged in. Let us get you engaged so that you can then start to live life as a disciple. We are in persecution. We aren't in violent persecution like we see here in Asia Minor. But church, we will be persecuted. Come and prepare how to live a life as in exile in the world you don't belong.
And so today I want to pray for that. For anyone in this room, I want to take some time just to pray for uh, anyone in this room who's on the fence about Jesus. Anyone who doesn't know Christ, who through the preaching or through talking to people in the lobby or maybe through someone outside here is like, I, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to pray for them now. And I also want to pray for us who have been Christians for multiple years, who just have been either maybe afraid or just not knowing what to do to take the next step to really be a disciple. I want to pray for that now as we close out. So let's pray. Father, we love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the time we've had to worship you today, to be a body of Christ, Father, to come to you as a body of Christ here in Greensburg and just to worship you and exalt you and proclaim you as king. Father, I, I pray, Lord, for anyone in this room, Father, who does not know you. If they've, they've been, had the gospel placed in front of them now, or maybe this week, Lord, I pray that they would open their heart to you, that they could hear you knocking on the door, they would open the door and let you into their heart, Father. Let you rescue them from a death, Father, that we, know we all deserve. But Lord, we know that you can be the redeemer of. So Father, I pray that if anyone is here right now and does not know you, Lord, that they know you now. But through the gospel that you went to the cross for their sins, that you died, you took the death on that they didn't deserve, though you were innocent of sin, that you took on their sin and died and gave them new life. Father, I pray for anyone in this room, Lord, who maybe has known you for years, maybe 5, 10, 15, maybe 50 years, but they've just never taken the step to be a disciple, to go out and proclaim you, God, to be a, a disciple of you, to live as a holy priest in the priesthood of the church. Father, I pray that you would just move their heart this week, move their heart today to be a part of being a disciple, Lord, that they would go and, and, and get engaged, and, and Father, that they would just be prepared and built up to go and multiply believers of Christ, to grow the kingdom of God. As you've commanded us, Father, in Matthew 28, to go therefore and make disciples. Father, I pray that today a fire is ignited in this place, that disciples are ignited to go and multiply and grow the kingdom of God and spread the gospel that you have redeemed the world with your blood. Father, we love you, and that's what we pray for this church, God, that we be a people dedicated to proclaiming the gospel, to being hungry for your word, to walking with you, to worshiping with you, to working for you as, a, as the body of Christ, God, and proclaiming you everywhere we go. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray all these things. Amen. Church, you are loved. You are sent. Have a great week.